to the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. All right, welcome to episode 112 of the South of the Six podcast. 112, like the 90s band. We are part of the stadium scene.tv network and part of the Overtime Media crew. Blue Jays have had a pretty down week but they bounce back in a big way, and we're going to talk all about it. Joining me is the co-host of Jay Bird Watching and a semi-celebrity we have on our on our on our hands right here, Mr. Brendan Penicar. Dude, how are you dealing with the celebrity status that you have now attained? I think I uh, got to start bringing uh, some security to Jay's game, standing out in the <laughs> flight deck. People starting to <laughs> recognize me. It's kind of uncomfortable, but uh, no. All jokes aside, I've just been really lucky, man. People are starting to think I'm stalking, but in a joking way, people are saying that, but no, not the case at all. It's just been pure luck the entire time. It's right place, right time, and it happened on two occasions. So if anybody ever debates the notion of lightning striking twice, it happened with you. Um, yeah. I do exactly. want to get. I do want to get into it. I do want to pretty much unpack it right at the jump because we haven't had the opportunity to do this on the show, but. Uh, you and I have had many exchanges in the past, so I feel sort of uh, like I'm I'm ripping off your celebrity status right now. But talk to me, talk to me about what went down with Joe Biagini. I know you were in just a random mini market, from my understanding, and you ran into him. So why don't you just give us the whole lowdown? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, um, that night, I guess yeah, the night before home opener, um, I was coming back from Liberty Village, which is a little neighborhood just outside of downtown. Uh, took the streetcar back. The lady wanted to go into uh, into Shoppers Drug Mart to get uh, a snack and a drink, and happened to be looking at my Twitter feed, which I always am. I think uh, a lot of people that we know are always on their Twitter feeds. Oh yeah. But uh, first thing I see is that Kendry's got traded, and she's a little bit a- ahead of me, so I'm saying it a little bit louder. I'm like, oh my God, Sarah, the Jays just traded Kendry's, and. I started showing her and then this other guy who's there who I thought was a fan was just like, what, what happened? Who got traded? And I was still looking at my phone to make sure the, the, uh, the report was legitimate. It was from Jeff Passan. So I was starting to walk over this guy thinking he's a regular Blue Jay fan. And then I look up finally, I'm like, Oh my God, you're Joe Biagini. <laughs> so just got talking with him about that and, uh, got his thoughts. He, he was sad to see him go because he's a good veteran guy. I think everybody knows that, but, uh, just the fact he saw him an hour ago, but, it, Joe doesn't have any social media, so he wouldn't have found out until a little bit later. So I was able to break the news to him and kind of went viral after that. Settle the score right now. And I know like you might have uh, in in your in your experience now with meeting Joe Biagini, you guys might have signed a blood oath, but settle the score if you can. Was he buying junk food? Uh, he was in the snack <laughs> aisle. Um, and he did ask our opinion on what to get. Um, so we recommended the Reese's snack mix or whatever that, uh, candy is called over there. But, uh, he went with that, put it in his basket and just like, uh, don't tell, uh, don't tell anybody the, uh, the trainers or the, uh, the, the nutritionist will probably, uh, cut my head off for having this, but, uh, yeah, he was getting some junk food. Oh, there you go. Uh, it is now out there in the universe that Joe Biagini was buying junk food the day before the home opener. But you know what? That's probably something that makes a lot of sense because if you're ever going to sort of binge eat or have some sort of comfort food, it's probably the day before a home opener because, you know, energy's high. You know, I'm not saying you're nervous, but you're definitely a little on edge. You know, it's, it's an exciting day. So if you're going to give them a pass, it has to be the night before opening day. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, it was uh, definitely the most unique uh, experience I've had running into guys. I mean, I live right downtown. Uh, I know our buddy Ryan DeFrancesco does as well, and he said he's seen Gibby and, and other guys like that. So, you know what? Right place, right time. But if you walk around on game day, like in the morning or whatever, I think there's a pretty good chance of running into guys as they're on their way to the ballpark. So it's not as crazy as people think it is that it always just seems to happen. Yeah, actually, um, when my wife, then girlfriend, and I went up to Toronto in 2013, we were walking to the Dome. And on our way up the steps towards it, you know, that little, uh, the overpass over the, the train and yeah, whatnot, yeah. Um, we're, we're looking at this dude with this backpack in front of us. Cause we wanted to go early. It was actually on Canada day that we went. So we wanted to get in line early. Um, she's like, that's Josh Johnson. And I'm like, Oh my God, it is. And she's like, do you want to go <laughs> run up to him and say hi? I'm like, 
No, no, I, he's obviously like going to work and that's how I like viewed it. I was like, I don't want to bother him. So just like, let him go. What am I going to say to him anyway? Hey man, cool. Like you're kind of pitching terribly, but Hey, what's going on? You know? <laughs> yeah, that was definitely not Josh Johnson's uh, finest year, but you know what? Uh, if I do see people walking around and it's really busy, then I won't say anything. Like I've walked by last year, I believe, or two years ago, Ezekiel Carrera, and it was right after a game, so I just didn't even say anything. You got, you got to respect them at the same time. But if there's nobody around, then I don't think it's so bad to go up and say hello. So I mentioned that lightning struck twice with you. You were just recently in Cleveland, and you uh, had the opportunity to say a few words with Charlie Montoya, although this one, from my understanding, on the latest Wednesday Wallop episode of Jay Bird Watching, uh, he sort of pursued you guys in a way. So why don't you uh, divulge that story for us? Yeah, my girlfriend, myself, and two of our best friends, we were in Cleveland for the weekend, and we were at a hotel right downtown, uh, walking distance from the ballpark, but... We were having a few day drinks when we woke up, I guess, a few morning drinks at the time, and we finally decided to leave the hotel, go down to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We didn't go in. We just wanted to walk around there, get a few pictures with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame sign or whatever, and we turned the corner to walk down that street towards the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and there's a guy running in Blue Jay gear, and we're all wearing our Jays jerseys, so he says, let's go Blue Jays, and he's, he gets a little closer, and it's, oh my God, you're Charlie Montoya, so we talked to him for about five minutes. I felt kind of awkward though because I was carrying an open can of Miller Lite, so I tried my best. To, <laughs> I tried my best to hide that, but no, he's a good dude. He's exactly how everybody describes him: very nice, very personable, down to earth. And you know what? I was saying yesterday on the Wednesday wallop, it was his first experience on a road trip. I think he's realizing how much this fan base travels, especially because it's uh, a countrywide from East Coast to West Coast. So. He got his first taste of that. I think he quite liked that experience. I like the fact that he called out you guys. Let's go Blue Jays, right? So you figure yeah. when you when you see an athlete of your favorite team, or, or in this case, the manager, um, typically it's you it's you calling that person out, right? You'll say, go Jays, yeah, Charlie, whatever. It's really cool that he was shouting you guys out and recognize you guys being there. And that sort of goes, lends credence rather, to the personality that he's bringing to this team and the influence that he has on this team. And I think that, you know, given the fact, let's run down the list, like the Cetos or the John Gibbons, you know, like these, these types of managers didn't really have that personality. I'm not saying they were bad guys. Guys. They were probably really cool dudes, but like how many of these guys do you think would be that personable and be willing to walk up to, you know, random strangers, essentially wearing Blue Jays gear? I think that's kind of a breath of fresh air for this team. It is. And you know what? I kind of joked after we left for like, well, if it was still John Gibbons, he definitely would not be out for a run before a game. <laughs> so we def definitely wouldn't have been able to meet up with Gibby. But uh, yeah, it was really cool. And again, everybody thinking I'm stalking people. No, it was just complete luck left at the right time. Well, you got to uh, get your yourself out there a little bit more. And when breaking news breaks, you just got to stop what you're doing, look around and be like, is anybody around? So like, <laughs> like <'cause laughs> it tends to be the case with you, but look, man, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. I'm glad that you got the, the notoriety and the, uh, the, the respect that you deserve, because like, this is obviously not just opening a lot of eyes to you and the situation that happened, but also like your work in the past and the present. I think this is a great opportunity for you just to have your name out there. And I have no doubt that people will recognize you and say, Oh my God, you're the dude that uh, saw Joe, Joe Biagini. And at, I saw that the uh, Charlie Montoyo tweet got a couple hundred likes. So even that man, that's, it's really awesome, man. And I'm, I'm really happy for you that it happened. Yeah, thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Very nice words. It's uh, It'll be interesting seeing if uh, running any more people or even just people at the ballpark recognize me and say, hey, you're the guy who broke that thing to Joe Biagini. Really cool story. But yeah, I, I'm still shocked at how much that blew up and how much coverage that got in different media outlets. Hey, it, it's whatever works, man. Whatever gets your, uh, your, your name out there, it's a good thing. So I'm glad it happened. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Um. Speaking of things that I'm glad are happening, I know this wasn't really on the, the list of topics that I sent to you, but we can touch on it. Uh, Vlad got called up to Buffalo today, it seems, and uh, which is great for me because I'm going to be seeing him on Tuesday in Pawtucket against the Red Sox, so I'm, I'm really happy about that. 
Yeah, man, if you have the chance to get there a little earlier, they might have your own little run-in with Vladdy Jr. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, the game starts at 6 o'clock, so I figure they're probably not going to get there until, I, I would imagine, maybe 12 or 1. Um, it's kind of difficult for me to duck out of work at that time, but if maybe if I can catch him real quick after, I mean, before the game, maybe at 4, 4.30 if he's taking some BP, uh, maybe I get the opportunity to like be like, hey, Vlad, what's going on? And he'll, he'll give me a nice little wave or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think you never know what happens. Keep your eyes out when you're going to games or just walking around towns where teams are. You never know who you're going to run into. That's true. And it's, he's kind of a difficult guy to miss, right? He's not only like a big dude, but that hair, man, you can probably spot that a mile away. And I, I saw you, you're sitting on the third baseline on Tuesday. Third baseline. That's right. That's Second row, third baseline, man. For 10 bucks, too. So that'll be uh, that'll be sweet, man. You get the uh, the first taste of Laddie Jr. Well, a few people probably would have saw him in Buffalo, but... Uh, for the first time in 2019, Mr. Corsair will be there. Yeah, you know, when when I saw that the minor league schedules were released, um, first of all, I love going to McCoy Stadium. So uh, everyone pronounces it Pawtucket. It's like here in Rhode Island, it's Pawtucket. Like yeah. P-U-H apostrophe Tucket. So it's just like Pawtucket. Um, I, I, I noticed that the schedule is out. I was under the assumption that Vlad was going to get called up later, whether due to service time or whatever. Um, so I said, let me take a chance and buy these tickets right now. They're 10 bucks a piece. McCoy Stadium is a great place to watch a ball game. That, and it's only going to be in existence for another year after this. They're moving to Worcester, Massachusetts. So oh. I might as well get my licks. Yeah, I might as well get my licks in while I can. Um, so I bought the ticket, 10 bucks. And lo and behold, he got called up. I thought they were going to keep him down in Dunedin just a little bit longer because of warmer weather. So yeah. I sort of keeping my fingers crossed, but lo and behold, it's coming up. So it's going to be a good day. Yeah, absolutely. I'm stoked for you, bud. You got to make sure you post a lot of pictures over social media. I, I will do just that. But yeah, the, the McCoy Stadium is moving to Worcester and a lot of Rhode Islanders are bummed. So if you, I know you travel well, if you ever get the opportunity, you want to catch a minor league game on the cheap, man, come to McCoy Stadium. It's a good place to watch a ball game. Yeah, I still have not done a minor league baseball game, so that's on my uh, bucket list of things to do, and especially this year, too, with Buffalo only being about an hour, hour and a half from Toronto. I'll hopefully get down there for a Bisons game, and hopefully before Vlad gets called up as well. you got about a couple of weeks left, man, so if you're going to do it, you got to get on it right away. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious now as to when he will get the call, because I originally said, I don't know if it was when you came on with... Uh, with Craig Borden and I on Jaybird watching when we were on a little bit before the season started, it might've been me, Craig and, and Ryan DeFrancesco when we were kind of projecting the dates and originally pre oblique injury, I was saying the April 23rd or 22nd game against the giants, mm. because that'll give two weekends in Buffalo for Buffalo to get their ticket sales up, some marketing opportunities and whatnot. But now that it's been pushed back, I'm starting to think that May 3rd, get them on the road when, yeah, when they're, out in the West Coast against the Angels. That's what I was thinking, too. I was thinking that it was probably going to happen on a West Coast trip. Um, chances are that him starting or being called up in a homestand, I think, are very, very slim. So I'm looking at, I agree. Yeah, I'm looking at a May series on the road, and I think that's going to do him, him well. Give him a month with some uh, AAA pitching just to get his, not just his confidence up, but his footing established, get back into some sort of rhythm with some competition that he's familiar with. He's probably mashing it down in single A in Dunedin. That's, that's not really competition for him. So give him exactly. a month. Yeah, give him a month to AAA, have him come up then, and just let it go from there, man. Let him Just let him go. Let him off the leash. Well, somebody was saying today on Twitter, and uh, I didn't necessarily disagree, but somebody was saying, would it be so much of a shock if they called them up for the road trip after they're at home this weekend against Tampa and start them in Minnesota next Monday? But I, if they do call him up on the 23rd, at least he gets one weekend in Buffalo, and then he can meet the team in Toronto on that off day on the Monday. But I, I don't know. I don't think they would start him at home. Get him on the road, get some at-bats, and then uh, be ultra-confident. Plus, a little bit more time gives the Jays time to promote their marketing and pe for people to buy their tickets to see his debut. Do you know the exact date of the service time? In other words, do you know what date the, the Blue Jays have until until that extra year of service time is kicked in? I think it's Friday, but I, I, I might be wrong on that completely. But I, it's very soon, so they won't have any issue with that. But I believe it's this Friday, which is why people were saying maybe 
they bring him up for that Minnesota series, but uh, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I think that when it when you look at the history of what happened with Chicago and Bryant, I don't think that the Blue Jays are going to make it that obvious. I think they're going to give him a little bit of time. You know, this oblique injury that he had, quote-unquote, was probably the best thing to happen to the Blue Jays in terms of this service time debate, right? So they can keep him down a little bit longer to, quote-unquote, make him fresh or get him rehabbed. So bringing him up next week, in Minnesota would be a little suspect to me. And I think the Blue Jays want to make this as less obvious as possible. So it's probably going to be around May and bring them up on a, on a West Coast trip. That way, it, Blue Jays fan can, as you you know, pretty much alluded to, anticipate him coming back to Toronto and they can have the tickets ready. You know, probably when the weather's a little bit warmer, the dome will probably be open and it's probably going to be a better atmosphere to catch a ball game than right now when it's probably still a little bit gray up there and the dome's closed. You don't want to have uh, have his homecoming to be in an environment like that. No, make it nice weather. Maybe maybe the dome gets open by the time uh, that home stretch comes in May. But yeah, you know, I I agree. I I, I the injury kind of helped their case a little bit because they definitely not going to want to make it obvious. Because I was listening to your show when you went on with Ron D. Francesco right before home opener, and mm-hmm. I agree with what you were saying in terms of the same thing could happen is going to happen with Bo Bichette. So they're going to have two straight years potentially of trying to manipulate service time for guys who are clearly ready. So they're going to have to make it as less obvious as possible. Yeah, a lot of people don't agree with me on that. I'm glad you do because like the whole service time thing with Bo, um, I, I think the writing was on the wall when Freddie Galvis got signed, man. There's no real reason to have Bo Bichette come up here because let's say they bring him up in September. He's just facing the same competition that he's seeing right now in Buffalo. So why yeah. waste that month? You know, It doesn't make much sense to me. And given that this new CBA is going to be uh, re-examined rather in what is it 2022 um, yeah. they'll, or 2021 they'll have exactly one year left to quote unquote manipulate this so I think the Blue Jays are going to get as many licks in as possible to do that in order to maintain a consistent contender as this front office has preached yeah and you know the other thing I'm sure things will change in terms of manipulation because this has been a talking point for quite a while but the biggest case to do exactly what they're doing with Vlad now is to stagger when they both become free agents. So you'd get that extra year of control with Bo Bichette if Vlad, some reason, leaves at the end of his service time and if they don't extend him, which they probably will extend him. But just say that scenario comes up, at least they would have Bo Bichette a year after Vlad potentially leaves. Exactly, exactly. I think the Blue Jays are prioritizing keeping their best players for as long as possible. And, you know, that's that's the name of the game for me. A lot of people want to see them now, but I'm saying for what? Like, it, yes, you're going to want to go to the game that day or that night that he is brought up to the big leagues. But after that, are you going to be coming consistently? Are you really going to be spending money consistently to watch these players day in and day out? I don't think so. I think we're just going to go back to the norm and the attendance will slightly decrease as the time goes goes on so why burn it to me it just doesn't make sense i know fans are like we're paying hard-earned money to see this team i get it but you as a baseball fan you understand that this is part of the process right there are there are lulls and there are highs and you have to experience the lulls in order to very much appreciate those highs i completely agree and you know what when vlad gets up here there may be a bit of an attendance spike for a little while uh especially with that first home stand but after that if they continue to not be a very good baseball team it's not just going to be him that's his complete job. The team has to win a little bit, too. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Well, speaking of not being a good baseball team, uh, let's talk about our current Blue Jays. Um, they've been very disappointing on the offensive side of the ball, dropping two against what could possibly be the worst team in baseball in the Baltimore Orioles, as well as getting swept in four games in Cleveland, as you have attended, uh, I think, just one game, right? You just attended? Yeah, just a Saturday game. Well, they revitalized themselves a little bit by deliciously taking the home opener in Boston slash their ring ceremony in pretty dramatic fashion. Um, that being said, the team is four and eight, two and a half weeks into the season. They are not in last place. The Red Sox are, so you know that there could be <laughs> could be worse. But generally, how do you feel about this team this early in the season? Uh, not very good. I think that's the way to put it. <laughs> I mean, there have been some good individual performances, but I mean, especially on the offensive side of things, I mean, looking at the Fangraphs page right now, 
all their offensive guys with Galvis, Urania, Gritchick, and Telez, those are the only guys with any sort of war, any sort yeah. of value right now. You add those up and you have one win from your <laughs> from your offensive production. That's not gonna get things done. So from an offensive standpoint, it's been pretty bleak. But man, the pitching staff has been absolutely fantastic. Especially the bullpen, who I don't think anybody thought would be this good. No, no, I thought that was the weakest link in this uh, Jays roster. If you would have asked me at the beginning of the season what is my biggest concern, it was the bullpen. Um, I didn't think the offense was going to be this horrid. Um, I do expect that to dip up just a little bit. I ca- it can't be this bad throughout the entirety of the season. And, you know, when Vlad does come up here, as we've been mentioning, um, he's probably going to spark a little bit of offense and change the way pitchers are approaching the lineup, especially in the early half, the the one, two, three, four portion of the lineup, which I think he'll be at probably at the three hole. So I, I do think that this team will get a little better hitting, but looking at the lineup, it's not really that encouraging, right? I expect Guriel to break out of it and if this past game in Boston was any indication he's probably on his way in that direction um, I do expect Raychuk to to dip up just a little bit Galvis has been pretty good he's been impressive at the plate but otherwise man this team offensively has not been good well the thing that sucks kind of in a way and especially with the young guys who are getting off the slow starts like Billy McKinney Danny Jansen some of those guys is they've never been to the big leagues for a full season. So it's kind of hard to project where they're going to end up finishing. So maybe there's a little bit of doubt in terms of maybe they won't be as good as we thought. I don't think that will be the case. But at this point, other than the veterans who you know what you're going to get, and especially some of the ones who are struggling, like Smoke, although he has had that stiff neck, which I'm sure is affecting quite a bit because he's been sitting out a bit. But it's just a a very hard team to predict or project right now because you just don't know what you're going to get from a lot of key contributors once they actually start hitting more than they currently are. Do you think that the absence of smoke is causing the team to be in a little bit of disarray? Obviously that the hitting, the offense, that the production that you would presumably be getting from smoke is big and his defense is pretty above average as well. I like him at first base, but when you don't have another natural first baseman in the lineup, you know, talking about Tim Mesa, maybe getting some reps at first base, uh, it really makes this lineup a little bit of a clusterfuck. So I want to know if there's any concern there that you, have that the Blue Jays don't have an adequate natural first baseman to cover that ground. Yeah, I mean, just his bat alone for sure um, is affecting the lineup as of right now. That'll change when he's back. I'm sure he'll be back in the lineup tomorrow, hopefully. But like when you're having Brandon Drury, who's struggling like crazy after his first two games against the Tigers, batting as your three hole hitter, then you just really got to attack Randall Gritchick, who strikes out a lot, and T. Oscar hasn't done anything either. So it's a really bleak lineup. It's kind of hard to score runs when you got one guy getting on base consistently and Freddie Gallis and Richard Urania has been a nice surprise too. But if they're getting on base and the three, four, five, six guys aren't doing anything, you're not going to score very many runs. You mentioned Richard Urania. I don't know how much stock you put into batting average, but it's really a sight to see that he's leading the team and batting average with a nice 350. Um, you're right. He has been a surprise. There has been that one mental error where he ran through a stop sign at third and got caught uh, in and out. But otherwise, I've been pretty happy with him thus far. Yeah, I've been surprised at how good he's been picking it defensively, too. He's he's had a decent glove, but he's looked really comfortable out in the field, too, which is a huge plus, which to me, at least, there's going to be a whole bunch of roster moves. I'm assuming at some point Urania is going to have to go back down when some of these guys come back up, get activated off the injured list, but he's making a case to stay here for quite a while and be that utility guy off the bench because he could play third, some second, some short as well and spell some of those guys, so... As of now, he's been a really good surprise. The bat has definitely surprised me, but even more so, I've been really impressed with how well he's been playing in the field. Yeah, you know, I don't really know if I feel comfortable bringing him down anytime soon because I haven't been really that encouraged with Gurriel's performance at second, especially turning double plays. So in that regard, I kind of want to keep Urena up as insurance because if Gurriel can't figure it out quickly, I don't know, man. I don't know where you're going to put him. I agree. And you know what? If Guriel, hopefully those two hits the other day in Boston get him going a little bit because before that game, if there were some guys coming back a little sooner, he would have been one of the top candidates to go back down because he isn't doing anything with the glove. He isn't really wasn't doing anything until Tuesday with the bat either. So much of his Guriel's contact has been so weak, too. It's been pretty atrocious up there, making a lot of one pitch outs and whatnot. So. Yeah, uh, if he doesn't start hitting or playing better defense anytime soon and Urania keeps on picking it well, 
contributing a bit when a bat with the bat when he's in there. Guriel could be the guy who goes down when some of these guys get back off the injured list. I couldn't agree more. But you know what? The uh, the steel home yesterday probably turned a lot of heads. And if anything, I do uh, believe in some intangibles, and I think that is an ultimate confidence booster. So I want to get your take. Do you think that, first of all, what did you think of the play? Did you think that was something that was drawn up by Montoyo and get, he gave him the green light? Or do you think that was all Guriel and said, no, I'm taking this one right now? I don't know because it's tough. I I honestly think he just read it because Sale was pitching out of a complete windup. He's a lefty, so his back was at third base. Guriel had a really healthy lead, and Sale wasn't. Uh, well, Sale first of all wasn't uh, pitching very well, so he is obviously really focusing on getting a good pitch in and trying to get the out. So once he had a good enough lead and he's going full windup, he's pretty much almost at home. By the time Sale saw him come out of the corner of his eye, he yanked it like twenty feet to the other side of home plate. So. First, I, I think it wasn't Montoya that drew that up. I think that was Guriel himself. Yeah, I agree. I think that he read it and, as you mentioned, and decided to take the chance because I, like you, didn't watch that game live. I was listening it to it on through my MLB at bat at. And Me too. Yeah, I... I, I can't really do that while I'm at the office, but you know, <laughs> listening to it, I was just, I remember, so I'm surrounded by Red Sox fans, as you can probably imagine, and I just start laughing, and they're like, what happened? I'm just <laughs> like, the Blue Jays literally just stole home on Chris Sale, and they're like, you're kidding me. I'm like, no, not at all. <laughs> it, it's delicious, dude, delicious, and watching the replay, how discombobulated Sale was, just making it that much sweeter. I know the weather might have been a factor with his performance, um, but at this point, I think he topped out with his fastball at 89, right? Yeah. And he just got that mega contract. You got to imagine something's up with him because as hard as this Blue Jays uh, hitting has been, they were able to take advantage of the little mistakes that the Red Sox committed and really make it their own to squeeze out a victory. So something must be up with Chris Sale, man. I mean, he's been even the two starts before they were a little bit better, but not by much. And his velocity, as you mentioned, is quite down, probably a little bit more down yesterday because of the weather and how cold it was. I mean, Daniel Hudson's velocity looked down, too, from a guy who usually throws up in the upper 90s. But the other the sales first two starts, he was really bad, too. So with the dip in velocity and how bad and even post game, he got asked, have you felt this way before? He's like, I've never felt so lost out in the mound before. So. I think there's something up. I think there's definitely some concern uh, with the Red Sox front office. And I imagine fans too, because man, you just gave them all that money. And they were saying today on the Jeff Blair show, they had Jeff passing on uh, baseball central and they were going through the rotation. If sale doesn't have it, he's going through the guys like David price now is not the ace that he was. He's no. maybe like a three and Porcello's a wild card because he tends to be up and down every single year. Eduardo Rodriguez had been a bit, bit of a disappointment. So if sales not going, that rotation isn't going to be very good. And you know what? They have another guy who struggled off the hop uh, in Nathan Ovaldi tomorrow. So hopefully they can take advantage of some weak starting pitching. Imagine if the Blue Jays took both. I know, right? That would be a huge confidence boost coming back home for a weekend. And there was nothing sweeter yesterday than hearing how quickly on ring day, when they're celebrating your team just winning the World Series, how quickly that crowd got restless and started booing the Red Sox yesterday. That was gold. Dude, that is my life. <laughs> that is the epitome of what it means to be a Red Sox fan. They want that instant gratification. And as soon as there's a mistake, they turn on you in a blink of an eye. The Celtics fans do it. You can't really say the Patriots fans do it because they never lose. But the Celtics fans, <laughs> yeah, they win all the time. Celtics fans do it, man. When things aren't going their way, they boo too. And Red Sox fans, man, they're brutal. They are unforgiving when it comes to the players on their team. So it, for me, it was just listening to the game. It was just delicious. I was just sitting back in my chair in the office. I was just like, bring it on. I can't believe the Blue Jays of all teams were able to beat them on their ring ceremony. For me, it's just, it's delicious. I love it. Even if they, somebody was saying yesterday on Twitter, even if they go on and lose 100 games, there's nothing sweeter than beating the Red Sox at Fenway on their ring day. So that was fun. It was definitely fun. It wasn't very pretty in the fashion they got the win, but they did. So it was great. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So the thing is about yesterday's game, the thing that I was encouraged with the most is uh, Shoemaker's start. And it seems like, you know, with such a small sample size that the Blue Jays were able to scoop up a gem in Shoemaker. So, uh, so much so that over three starts thus far, he has an ERA of 
0.92. He's pitched 19 and two-thirds inning. This is coming off an injury, yeah. uh, allowing only nine hits, four runs, five walks with 19 strikeouts. He's won all of his starts, and I know you don't put a lot of stock in winning games as a starting pitcher, neither do I. But overall, you have to be encouraged with the strong outings to kick off the season. So I kind of wanted to get your general thoughts about Shoemaker thus far, and do you think the Blue Jays have may have found a diamond in the rough here? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think we saw when Shoemaker was healthy with the Angels, especially in that rookie year when he finished runner-up in rookie of the year voting. But even back in 2016, yeah, when he's healthy, that splitter is unhittable. I, I said a few times that this is one of the best single pitches they've had since Estrada's changeup. When Estrada's changeup, when he threw that, no matter what, you wouldn't be able to make contact. And that's what it's been so far with Matt, Shuker, Matt Shoemaker's uh, splitter. I was at the, his first start as a Blue Jay against the Tigers, and he made them look completely silly. But you can give that a bit of a path. Or you don't have to put as much stock into that one or maybe the Orioles one because they're both not very good lineups. But to see him continue to go out there, even though he gave up a few runs, to still look quite good against a Red Sox lineup, very encouraging. That's the first place Detroit Tigers you're talking about. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, Detroit Tigers. Yeah, that's right. You're in first place. Uh, that's not sustainable. But no, all jokes aside, <laughs> uh, you're absolutely right. For me, I think it was uh, you and I that mentioned this on the Jay Bird watching podcast a while back uh, in the preseason that... I. I would not be surprised if he was the Blue Jays' second-best starter. And he's certainly looking like he has the stuff to be their ace. I don't think, you know, by definition, they will acknowledge him as his ace. But so far, again, small sample size, knock on desk here. But you got to be encouraged. And if this type of performance he can carry out throughout the entire year, yeah, he's going to have down starts. It's going to happen. It's baseball. That kind of thing's happen. But if he can maintain this level of consistency... He may be the best starter in this Blue Jays rotation. I agree. Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see. There's always going to be question marks around Aaron Sanchez and his durability. Strowman's looked really damn good, too. I know he hasn't had the wins on his record to uh, to prove that, but he's been really good as well. But, no, Shoemaker, every time he's gone out so far, he's given them a chance to win, and that's all you can ask from, uh, from your starter when he goes out there. But I remember when we were saying that on, uh, on Jaybird watching when we went on, but at the same time, if he continues doing this and continues being this good, he does have that extra year of control next year. He could play his way into being a very attractive trade chip at the deadline for a team that needs to show up their rotation. See, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say the same thing. But I was going to say that maybe the Jays hold on to him because with such uncertainty in their rotation, at least in the near term, when it comes to prospects and what they have in the system, it may do them well to not kickstart this whole push into contention for 2020 but just to give that staff a little bit of confidence and to give the team overall a little bit of a boost to to carry over the success whatever success they garner this year and to use it into next year i don't think it would be a bad idea if they hold on to him no i agree and that's exactly why because everybody's saying well if stroman and sanchez pitch well they could be traded which is definitely possible and now shoemaker if he continues could play as well uh, play his way into being a trade chip as well but beyond those three you have ryan barucki you probably have trent thornton based on his first two good starts but we'll keep on seeing how trent thornton does as it goes along but after that there's such a gap right now from the major league talent and the legitimate arms that are down in double a right now it's a double a rotation that everybody's talking about I mean, Sean Reed Foley has been brutal in that one start that he had up here. Unfortunately, I was there for that game. That was not very fun. But uh, he got rocked again. He got rocked again in Buffalo when he went back down for that start. And then, yeah, I mean, there's a very good case to flip Strowman, Sanchez, and Shoemaker. But because you have them all under control for another year after this, if that gap doesn't close a little bit as the season goes along, you got to think about keeping them. Yeah, it's not like you're going to get major league ready pitching in return for any of these players. If anything, you're probably going to get a deep prospect and maybe at best a double A. And if it's a pitcher, you're going to maybe get a good one, but you still have that time to wait. And that pushes back the the time and the period that the Blue Jays wish to contend. So I think that it's probably in their benefit if they just hold on to all three of them and reassess the market next year. I know you're sacrificing that year of service time, and that may diminish the return that you theoretically get. But at the same time, if you want to have a strong staff and knowing that like the Nate Pearsons and the Paulinos aren't going to come up anytime soon, you have to do it. You can't just bank on free agency because if they don't sign with you you're kind of screwed at that point so you kind of have to deal with the bird in hand yeah i agree and you know what just as you were saying that i was thinking 
if you do hold on to them next year and the offense, which is much closer to being major league ready with some of the blue chip prospects, if they start turning it on and look really good as the season goes along with this staff, potentially as soon as next year, you could be talking about them being in contention for a wild card spot. If you keep all three guys at the top and then you got guys like Trent Thornton and maybe Sean Reed Foley or Ryan Barucki, of course, Barucki, uh, yeah, yeah, Barucki for sure at the back end of your rotation. That's a good five. So Maybe, especially if they continue to pitch well and the offense starts going and you see the potential for what it could be in their second full seasons, like a Danny Jansen and a Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and a Billy McKinney, so on and so forth, then it could be good as soon as next year, which isn't too crazy to say. No, it's not. It's not at all. Like, I know this year that hopes were sort of high. I know in a best-case scenario, we were projecting that perhaps they could end up like the 2018 Tampa Bay Rays. That was a best case scenario, right? But it's, I certainly think that they'll improve on last year's win total. I don't think they're going to win any less than 73 games. In fact, I think I have them penciled in for 78. So, you know, that's an improvement in and of itself next year. You know, if you, if you keep these players within their roles and, you know, you have to bank that injuries aren't going to occur, but I would like to see a solid, formidable five. In other words, I don't want this flip-flopping, and I know it's largely, again, due to injuries this year, but keep Panoan out of the rotation. Keep Sean Reed Foley out of the rotation. Right now, if for me, both of those guys, I think they're more bullpen players, and I know you're starting them out of necessity, but right now, I just I don't think that it's a good idea to continuously mess with them up and down. At that point, you're getting into this be a genie area where it kind of mess with him until right now where his role is definitely solidified. Yeah, I was saying last night with Craig, I love Thomas Pannone in the role that he's currently in because I don't think he can go through a lineup twice, and he no. didn't on Saturday in Cleveland. He just doesn't have the arsenal at this point to go through twice, so being a guy who can come in for a starter who gets rocked like he did with Sean Reed Foley, I think that's the absolutely perfect role for Pannone. Maybe he he can spot start, and I'm sure he will throughout the course of this year. But as of as of now, he definitely projects to me as more of a long man. Maybe when he gets a little bit better, he could be more of a back end type arm. But yeah, I completely agree. And until Sean Reed Foley figures out whatever is going on with him right now, he is not going to be playing his way into the rotation. He wasn't. He was not ready for that start. I know they had to out of necessity. Nobody else was stretched out, but he did not earn that start by any means. No, no. And Thomas Pannone, you nailed it. He's kind of like the Aaron Loop of this year's Blue Jays, right? You kind of got to rely on him for a couple of batters here and there in an inning. And after that, you kind of got to pull the leash and say you're done for the day. Like he, he's solid, but you're right. If he's if he's in a, a starting rotation role or even if it's just a spot start to fill in for an injured player, it's not a good recipe. At that point, I'd rather, you know, go with someone from AAA or, you know, sign someone off the street at a vet minimum or something just to get it out of the way. I don't want to mess with these kids' confidence because they're so young, and you you could just see it. You could see how it was bothering him in Cleveland that he's walking in these runs. I don't want that. I don't want that from any of our young stars. I want them to have confidence moving forward, and if it means having a solid bullpen role, let him ride with that. Yeah, let him build his confidence in the role that he's made for right now, and that is being that long guy. He's got to start somewhere, and if he gets that confidence, you never know what that can do for a guy. Maybe, I mean... Maybe it's not out entirely out of the question that he could pull a Joe Biagini from 2016 where he starts in very low leverage spots. He continues to pitch well and perform well, earn the trust of Charlie Montoya, and he could start seeing some batters in the seventh and eighth inning. Probably not, but get that confidence and exactly what you just said. Let them build that. Well, speaking of confidence, I do want to transition here to Kevin Pillar. Um so on the show, we covered the, the Kevin Pillar trade in long form last week. You can check that out in the archives on episode 110. Um, recently, though, he's had a little bit of success with the Giants. And, you know, a lot of us Blue Jays fans, if not all of us, want to see him succeed. You know, I was happy that he hit that grand slam in San Francisco. That was probably a huge confidence booster for him. Um, anything that the Giants can do, to really push his ceiling a little bit higher and that he can achieve new heights that he wasn't going to be able to do in Toronto. I'm more than happy for him. But for me, the comments that he made made me pause a little bit. So I kind of want to read the quote to you. Um, 
after the game, he was quoted as saying, it's something that I haven't experienced in all my years in the big leagues. You just see guys genuinely happy for each other. Now, that's that's weird for me because this is a guy that's been in, in the Blue Jays system in both 2015 and 16 when the success was at its peak in this generation. And you thought, you know, ostensibly there was some sort of camaraderie and friendship and, you know, loyalty to each other on the squad. This comment makes it seem like maybe it wasn't that. So I kind of wanted to get your take on it. Is this something that we're reading into a little bit too much as Jays fans tend to do? Or do you think there's something to be said? about Kevin Pillar taking unnecessary shots. Yeah, I think maybe reading into it a little bit too much because everybody loved Kevin Pillar. I mean, not everybody, but like the casual fan loved him and he seemed like a genuinely good guy. But I think what people maybe are starting to realize is maybe things in the clubhouse weren't as good as they seemed throughout 2015 and 2016 because he had a lot of veterans who, especially like a Josh Donaldson and a Troy Chudowitzki who were very much me guys who were out there trying to do everything themselves. But yeah, I don't know. There is really weird because the Giants aren't very good. And yeah, they won a ball game and they were celebrating that. But I mean, did you not have as good a time as when you were beating the Texas Rangers to go to the ALCS back to back years? Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's weird to me. And I'm not exactly sure what it means in the big picture with Kevin Pillar. Yeah, to me, it just sounds like sour grapes. That's all it is. And like, I understand that it was emotional that he got traded. I understand, like, as he mentioned, that he said, this is all I know. This is all I've ever known in the big leagues. But, bro, this is part of the the business here. Like, I'm not trying to, you know, minimize any of his accomplishments or any of his great highlight plays that he's provided for us as Blue Jays fans throughout the year. But this is just part of the game. This is part of the business. And for you to take pot shots at the organization that pretty much made you blossom into what you are. It's so much so that the Giants wanted you. Like, the Giants pursued Kevin Pillar. It wasn't the opposite, from my understanding. It kind of just makes it seem a little bitter, right? It kind of makes it seem like this is just sour grapes. And in that aspect, unsurprising, I guess you can say, it's a little bit unprofessional of Kevin Pillar. I mean, don't you think he'd be happy that he got traded to a team in the state where he grew up? Like, he's right. a California guy. He's right by all of his family now, who we joked are all Dodgers fans, so he's going to have to try to convince them to be fans <laughs> of the biggest rival. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that he is upset about leaving because he was, uh, by all accounts in spring training, wanted to be that veteran in the clubhouse that Marcus Stroman made those comments about, that there are no veterans. But, uh, yeah, I think there is definitely still a bit of sting that he got traded from this team. I think he genuinely liked it here. And for an athlete to genuinely like it here, and want to stay and, and contribute and be a veteran on a team that isn't very good. I'm sure he does feel a little betrayed, but at the same time, it's like, come on, dude. I mean, you are out of the cold in April. <laughs> that yeah. was one thing they, sh- they showed him arrive in uh, San Francisco and the video showed Derek Rodriguez. I believe his name is one of the starters for the giants come up and say, like, Hey man, we just got you out of the cold. Didn't we? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> it was snowing up in Toronto when I left. So, and he's close to home. I mean, I'd be happy if I got traded back home, especially from a team that wasn't going to be very good. Let me ask you this. All right, so we have the feeling that players like to navigate their careers on their own terms. I think that's pretty obvious when it comes to how professional athletes want to you know, go about the decision-making process of what team they're going to play for. It seems puzzling to me that, you know, Kevin Pillar wanted to be this veteran leadership presence in the locker room, which I have no doubt. But let's be honest here, right? And, and he has one more year of control, if I'm remembering correctly. And then he's a free Yeah, and then he's a free agent. Chances are the Blue Jays weren't going to re-sign him anyway. And chances are if they were going to extend an offer, it was going to be a lowball one. It seems to me that it was obvious that Kevin Pillar probably wasn't going to return if it was up to him. So how much of this sour grapes or this feeling of bitterness towards the organization was that that he wasn't controlling his destiny and it was the Blue Jays that were kind of shipping him out rather than him making the decision to play for another organization? Yeah, it very well could have been. But at the same time, as we were saying, it's a business. And I think he realized that he doesn't fit in with the window of this team anymore. So I, I, I can definitely see that. But at the same time, I mean... He probably knew deep down that he was going to be dealt at some point, so I, I don't get why he would be sour about that. Do you get the sense that this may change the reception that he'll receive when the Giants come to Toronto, or do you think it's sort of going to be, at that point, out of sight, out of mind, and people are just going to be whatever about it and give him a standing O? 
Yeah, I already think it's kind of water under the bridge already. So I think people will give him the standing out. He and he deserves it. I mean, when you think about it, before Ben Revere got here, left field was a circus. Mm-hmm. And so Kevin Pollard's defense in the first part of twenty fifteen before Revere got here was very important. He's a very key piece to uh, getting to the playoffs in 2015, providing stellar defense. And he also had Jose Bautista and Wright, who couldn't necessarily cover a lot of ground either. So without him, um, the the defense out in the outfit would have been a train wreck. And I guarantee they would have lost a, a, at least a few more games uh, if Polar wasn't out there patrolling center field. You're absolutely right. I think people forget the fact that he started 2015 in left field. I actually remember uh, a highlight play. I want to say it was Jackie Robinson Day because I want to say he was wearing 42 when it happened. That there That's was right. there was this nice wall catch that he had that you if you blinked you would have missed it, but it he reached over the wall to catch the ball. He sort of scaled it like Spider Man and made a magnificent catch. And that for me, looking back in 2015, was the start of okay, this team is is going to be special all year. Yeah, saved Todd Redmond of a home run when he was still up here. That was yep. uh, kind of the start of Kevin Pollard's fandom and becoming a, a hero in Toronto as sports. After that, you started seeing Pollard jerseys all over the place. Well, I wish him nothing but the best. Honestly, I know like it may... I, I'm speaking out of ignorance here because I've never been in this situation. So I don't want to minimize anything. I'm, I hope that he's able to achieve new heights with the Giants. And, you know, it, it's just it's upsetting to him and I think to a lot of fans because they don't want to realize or maybe he doesn't want to realize or both that the ceiling was reached with Toronto. He gave everything he could and he wasn't getting any better with this team. No. And his defense was starting to decline over the last few years too. So he definitely has reached his peak and he was not a very good offensive player either. He contributed, but at the same time, he was pretty bad up at the plate outside of those Aprils where he always got off to good starts. All right, well, let's transition back to the starting rotation because it was announced yesterday by Charlie Montoyo that Clay Buckholes will get the nod to start against the red-hot Tampa Bay Rays on Saturday in Toronto. Um, he's made just one start thus far in Buffalo, pitching five innings but allowing four hits, five runs, three of which were earned, four home runs, and five strikeouts. I'm not sure how much stock... We can put into this AAA start, but as the fifth starter, I mean, I guess it's not that big of a deal, but this doesn't really boost my confidence having him being inserted in the rotation. But as we've mentioned, probably better than Thomas Pannone. So how do you feel about Clay Buckles getting the nod? Yeah, I definitely think it's out of necessity at this point to start Clay Buckles. I think I heard the other day that he'll be good for about 90 pitches. That's what he's about built up to at this point. So I mean, that's probably should be good enough if he goes out there and performs decently to give you five innings. And at this point, I think that's what you got to get because the fifth spot is definitely uh, a bit of a train wreck at this point with the guys who have started to this point. So, you know what, just go out there, see what you can do. And uh, he'll continue to build his pitch, pitch count and uh, build up his arm strength too. I mean, everybody's got to remember he started late, like he signed really late. So he started building up his arm strength a lot later than a lot of the starters and pitchers on this staff. Do you get the sense that this is in typical Blue Jays fashion that maybe they're pushing him into the rotation a little too quickly or a little bit more quickly than he would like to to be there? In other words, do you think he's ready to go full full blown strength or do you think uh they're rushing a little bit because that fifth starter placement has been so so horrible? Yeah, I I, I think maybe it's rushed a little bit, but at the same time, he wants to be up in the bigs. He doesn't want to spend any more time down in Buffalo. So I, uh, yeah, definitely out of necessity because they don't really have a fifth starter at this point until hopefully, well, when Barucky gets back. So yeah, uh, definitely out of necessity. Probably isn't at full arm strength yet, but if he says he's good to go for about ninety pitches, and that's better than nothing. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, I, as we mentioned, it's better than having a, a Sean Reed Foley or a Thomas Pannone. I guess what gives me a little bit of hesitation is that they're playing the Rays and they've just been so good lately that I don't want him to get rocked his first start. Yeah, no, that's definitely key, especially for a guy who's only on a one-year deal want to go he's going to want to go out there and pitch like he did last year with the diamondbacks because if he does do that then yeah he can play his way into being a trade chip as well to go to a contender if he's pitching well so yeah uh, i don't know what to personally expect on saturday i'd be surprised if they push him too much especially if he's struggling but all i'm expecting is maybe about four to five innings maybe three runs and i think that'll be enough to keep them in the game but they are facing Blake Snell, so runs are going to be tough to come by. You know, I don't think that they're going to push him. Really, I don't, because if 
you know, Trent Thornton's first start was any indication he was cruising and they still pulled him. Right. So even if, you know, he's obviously if he's blowing it up in the first couple of innings and, you know, the, the race tack on five or six runs, he's probably going to get yanked. But otherwise, if he's, you know, having a serviceable start, 90 pitches sounds about right. I don't I don't really see him going over that because as the Bluejays have shown thus far, again, small sample size, uh, they're probably prioritizing uh, the longevity of their starters. So I doubt they want to see another injury happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, probably, yeah four innings, five innings, especially if they're high uh, effort pitches as well. He's getting himself into jams. He definitely won't be pushed too much beyond that. And that's the way to do it at this point. You still are building up your starter's arm strength to be uh, ready for the grind of 30, 32 starts throughout the course of the year. So definitely be cautious. And I hope Buckles goes out there and pitches well because, again, uh, a veteran on a one-year contract, everybody knows that that's prime to be traded. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, if it's better that it's happening in April rather than sometime in June, July. Like this, I don't want Blue Jays fans to get the sense that this is another, like, Matt Latos or a Jaime Garcia kind of situation. I think Clay Buckles has probably a little bit more upside, and I say probably, half kidding, he most certainly does have a little bit more upside than the Matt Latoses and the Jaime Garcias of the world. So it's not the worst thing, but again, it's just that raised lineup that gives me hesitation. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, he'll be here. If he pitches well, longer than um, longer than Matt Latos was. But at the same time, if he goes out there and gets rocked in two or three of his starts and just doesn't seem to have it, he cut bait with him when Barucki comes back, especially if Trent Thornton keeps on pitching well. Because as of now, through two starts, he'll get another one on Friday. Trent Thornton has looked like he belongs, and I think he should be. He hasn't deserved to go back down to the minor leagues. So you never know what will happen. If Buckles goes out and gets rocked and Thornton keeps on pitching well when Barucki's ready, then perhaps... Uh, Buckles is gone as soon as that. Well, you kind of set it up on a tee for me, so I want to transition to the next topic. I wanted to get your take as to who has been the biggest surprise for you. Um, for me, it's been Trent Thornton because I, I, a lot of people are hyping up Matt Shoemaker as we were in the beginning of the show. And again, I don't want to take anything away from him, but him pitching this well was sort of on our radar, so much so that you and I agreed, as we mentioned, that it wouldn't surprise if he, if he was the Blue Jays' second-best starter. Trent Thornton, on the other hand, was a complete wild card for me. And to see him come out so strong and to set a Blue Jays franchise record in his first start had to have been a confidence booster for him. And to follow up with another great performance, I think he pitched seven strikeouts in the second start. Uh, it, it's nothing short of great. So I'm, for me, it's Trent Thornton. Freddie Galvis has been surprising as well, but not so much, not as much, nearly as much as Trent Thornton has been. Yeah, that Thornton's definitely been a surprise because as we all knew going into the season when it was announced he would be starting, you weren't sure what you were going to get. Like if he went out there and got rocked against the Tigers, it would have been like, all right, this is his first major league start, whatever. Maybe he's just not ready for this. But from a complete surprise, yeah, yeah, definitely he is the biggest one. I mean, outside of him, I am very happy with how Ken Giles has looked. He's just looks absolutely beautiful out there on the mound. That slider, that fastball being located perfectly. But... I think at the same time, Freddie Galvis has probably been the biggest surprise in terms of the veterans because he kind of knew what you were going to get with Freddie Galvis, maybe about a 250 hitter, maybe a, a OVP around 290, 300, maybe 310 at its best. So the fact that he's been contributing, I was saying last night, can you imagine how worse this offense would look if Freddie Galvis wasn't here? Yeah. Yeah, it's... He's the new, actually, he's a better version of John McDonald, right? Because he can actually produce at the plate. But his defensive skills are very much above average, and I like what I'm seeing from him. He's probably going to be able to anchor that middle infield position for the majority, if not the entirety of the year. So having a guy like that coming onto this team and accepting sort of a veteran leadership role, I kind of like it. You know, you don't really hear much from him, and he seems to be a positive influence in the clubhouse. So for me, you're right, Freddie Galvin on the offensive side, nothing but surprise. And I, and I really like what I've been seeing so far. And everybody got to remember, he's not just here on a one-year contract. They have an option for next year too. And I fully expect if he continues, he's going to dip down for sure. Like he's not been this good throughout the course of his career. But at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me if he does set some personal bests offensively because he is in the American League East as opposed to San Diego and Philadelphia in the National League where there are some big ballparks as well. But I would not be surprised if Galvis is even here next year. And when some more guys are up here healthy, Galvis will be the perfect utility guy on the bench who could play everywhere, 
give you great defense and come in uh, late in the ballgame. Yeah, I, I know he's running on that consecutive game streak, but what was um, encouraging for me, I don't know if you read the article, but when he was making his decision where to sign and the Blue Jays were pitching to him about signing in Toronto, um, Montoyo talked to him personally and said, if you come to this club, you're probably not going to maintain that consecutive game streak. I'm just letting you know. And for Freddie Galvis to put you know, his personal achievements aside and to do something for the good of a team, knowing or expecting not to continue that streak, to me, that speaks volumes of his character. Oh, definitely. And yeah, I bet they said that if you do come here, you'll play. And probably for the most part, I would say probably I would say at this point, it's a guarantee that he might even be here next year. And next year, as we said, could be definitely much more fun with some of the young guys up here. And he can continue to be that veteran leader in the clubhouse and mentor guys like Boba Shett when he's up here and help with his defense and Vlad Jr. and all those guys. So, no, I'm a, so far, I'm a very big fan of Freddie Galvez. He's been awesome. All right, so we covered uh, the general sense of the team thus far in the past two and a half weeks. We covered Matt Shoemaker's amazing start to the season, covered Kevin Pillar's uh, comments, and we've covered the Clay Buckholes. Uh, start coming up this weekend as well as the biggest surprises. So I kind of want to wrap this up by predicting the next two series. As we mentioned, they have three at home against Tampa Bay this weekend, and then they have four on the road to face the Twinkies. So I'm going to start with Tampa Bay. How many do you think they're going to take out of those three? I'd be happy with one at this point. (laughs) Same here. Yeah, the offense ain't going yet, and they face Blake Snell on Saturday and Charlie Morton on Sunday. They have an opener starting for the Rays on Friday, so maybe that's the game that they can take with Thornton out there. But you know what? If the pitching staff continues to do this, maybe Buckles is a bit of a write-off in a wild card for Saturday, as we said. But Stroman going again on Sunday should be able to keep them in the ball game. And it's not like Morton has been completely unhittable to this point as well. So one and, and yeah, I, I'm going with one game for that Rays series. I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I got one, too. I mean, like, if you would have told me on uh, Monday, you know, the Blue Jays are going to have a decent offensive showing against Chris Sale and take a victory, I would have said, okay, well, then I'm, I'm for this. Let's let's go. And I would have probably not really believed it, but lo and behold, it happened. So it is possible that they can take advantage of a, a threatening good starter into the weekend. Chances are it's not going to happen because the weather is going to be a little bit more controlled in the Dome. So don't expect a repeat there. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the Jays are going to take one there. Uh, but then they travel to Minnesota for four. Uh, like I said, the Tigers are in first place somehow in that division. Uh, Minnesota has been, you know, kind of good, I guess. Um, I'm going to say the Jays are going to split that one. They're going to take two. Yeah, I be I think two is definitely attainable with the Twins. I do think that the Twins, once they get going, will probably be the second wild card at this point. Uh, I said that the, at the beginning of the year, too. But everybody will be going out there that series except for Strowman. So you're going to have Shoemaker on Monday, Sanchez Wednesday, Thornton on Thursday, and then or, sorry, Buckles on Thursday, or on Wednesday and uh, Thornton on Thursday. So again, with Shoemaker going out there, what he's doing, you got to think that they're going to be in a good position to win that game. And Sanchez throughout his career, especially at target field from what I remember has pitched really well. So try to capitalize on those two going. And then you got your bit of a wild card with Buckles again uh, on Wednesday. But yeah, I think two is definitely attainable. I'd be actually thrilled with two at this point in that series. The only thing you got to worry about in Minnesota is the weather because April weather in Minnesota isn't favorable. So expect maybe one or two rainouts. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I hope not because this week has sucked so far. No game Monday. Couldn't watch it yesterday. No game tonight. Finally, we'll be able to watch a game tomorrow. But I'm going out for dinner and all the TVs <laughs> are going to have. They're going to have the Leaf game on everywhere. Uh, I'll be at a place. I'll be at the Sportsnet Grill, which is inside the Rogers Center. So they should have the the Jays game on one place. But it'll be Leafs all tomorrow, too. That's a shame, man. That's a shame. I, I, look, I don't know if you're into hockey. I never got into hockey ever. Um, it it kind of interferes with the basketball season, so I prioritize basketball over hockey. Um, but, yeah, I get, I would be a little bit frustrated, especially you know with a, a Jays-Red Sox matchup. It, as lackluster and lopsided as it may be, for Blue Jays fans, that's something almost as you can probably call it appointment-viewing television. I agree, and I was telling I was telling guys at work today. I work with a really diehard Leaf fan. I'm not a, a, like a fan. I like the Leafs. I'm fine with them. I have a jersey so that I can fit in in the city uh, during playoff runs and when they're good. But I was telling the guys at work, I'm just like, guys, if I'm out tomorrow and the Jays game's on, I'm probably going to be focusing on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't blame you, man. Like it, it, this is the devil, you know. Right? This is your baby. B- baseball is life. So 
Don't no shame there. No shame at all. But the Raptors on Saturday or whenever they play, I'll definitely be watching that. Oh man, I can't wait. I can't wait. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. All right, well that's gonna that's gonna wrap it up for tonight. Uh, Brendan, I'm really happy you were able to pop on. It's been way too long since you've been on the show. So why don't you promote everything? As people don't know, based on the uh, the Yahoo articles that you've been featured in or whatnot, where can they find you on Twitter so they can find out when you're gonna stalk your next Blue Jays victim? <laughs> and uh, you can promote the podcast as well, man. Go for it. Floor is yours. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, buddy. It's been as you said a long time. Good to be back on with you, but. Yeah, I, me and Craig Borden since I think uh, November, maybe late October, every two weeks during the offseason, we had our Blue Jay, our Jaybird watching podcast, what we call the Wednesday Wallop. And now that the season started in spring training, we do that every week and I'm full on there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Panacar37, same with Instagram if you want to give me a follow there to see when I stock my next Blue Jay. Uh, but other than that, yeah, just keep them plugging along at our Wednesday wallop and try to grow that to be as big as South of the Six. Absolutely, man. And look, ever since you've been on South of the Six for the first time, I always remember, and I always say this when you're on, that's two Ks in Panacar, not two Ns. That's important. You got it, buddy. I appreciate that. Yeah, no worries, man. All right, man, we'll do this again soon, and uh, go Jays, man. Thanks for hopping on. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Go Blue Jays. listening to the south of the six podcast don't forget to follow us on twitter and instagram at south of the six and subscribe to our show we're on apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher spotify yeah we're everywhere while you're at it if you liked what you heard do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review we appreciate it thanks again go jays and raptors